This episode is brought to you by Liberty Hall Video in Lawrence, Kansas. Both Graham and I used to work there, and they are gracious enough to sponsor this podcast. You can rent all of the films we talk about there, and more. Graham, welcome back to episode two. Episode two, here we are. Pumpkin Spice Podcast. I'll edit it out if it's taken. Yeah. episode we talked about a nightmare on elm street the beginning of the series everything it took to make the movie what it represented what it meant all of the complications and now we are here at nightmare on elm street part two freddy's revenge uh yes a nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge is a really interesting film because it is unlike any other film in the nightmare series yeah it seems like they decided we don't need to use any of the rules. We can just make our own film. But that probably has something to do with not realizing they had already established rules they would need to follow. Well, yeah, and getting rid of their director, sort of the creator of all those rules, definitely uh, helped make a Nightmare on Elm Street 2 such a bizarre film. So when we left off on the last episode, New Line Cinema was broke. They had kind of just broke even by making so much money on the first one that got them out of the hole, but they needed to make a sequel to start making actual profits. The relationship between Bob Shea and Wes Craven was completely deteriorating, and so they went on to make this movie without Wes. Yeah. And they brought in Jack Shoulder? Yeah, Jack Shoulder uh, was a editor for New Line Cinema before he was a filmmaker, um, and then he did a film called Alone in the Dark for New Line Cinema, and that film was a minor success. And so New Line Cinema needed a director for Nightmare in Elm Street 2 very quickly. Uh, they needed to go into production very soon. And so they took uh, their most experienced director at the time, Jack Shoulder, to helm the project. Um, and he didn't like the original film whatsoever. No, Jack, Jack famously hates the first one. In fact, I think the only Nightmare in Elm Street movie that Jack likes is his own. So that's kind of his, uh, that's where his ego is at, I guess. That's incredible. It's not as if he didn't understand the rules that Wes had created. He just didn't care and wanted to establish his own film. Well, yeah, he did. Again, he did not like uh, the first film, but he thought it had some potential, uh, and he felt he could take the Nightmare Elm Street in a in a different direction. And it turned out that that direction, maybe not wrong, but was completely different than what the audience had anticipated. At least in America, in Europe, that movie is huge. So they've got Jack Shoulder, they've got an outline of what they want the script to be, they're ready to start production, but they don't have one element, and that's Robert England to play Freddy. 
uh, Robert's agent had gotten wise to the character development and probably wanted a little more money. Is that right? Uh, that's absolutely correct. Uh, Robert was really feeling ownership of the character, and New Line Cinema felt like that they couldn't afford him. So the first scenes of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, were shot without Robert. And if you watch the film very closely during a shower room sequence, there is uh, Freddy Krueger silhouetted in the darkness. And he's kind of lumbering around. And it's so clear that that is not Robert England, And that was actually a stunt double that was cast for that part. It looks like an old-timey Frankenstein. It looks terrible. And it's it so stands out, and you can so see it. And I implore anybody that's about to watch or has already watched A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 to go back and watch that scene because you're going to know exactly what we're talking about. They finally got Robert Englund, and it's interesting because his actual speaking roles in this film are kind of minimal. Yeah, he doesn't have as many lines as he did in the first one. And also number two is when they really started to deepen his voice. Two through seven, they really start to deepen uh, the Freddy voice. Now see, I didn't realize that. When you watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street as much as I have, it sort of becomes on a pillar right next to uh, Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. So they got Robert England. He's finally in it. There's not a lumbering stuntman trying to play this iconic character. And now opposite Freddy is Mark Patton. All right, now it's always been kind of alluded to that Freddy might have been a pedophile, might have been a child molester. Regardless, he was definitely a child murderer. Now it's interesting because, firstly... You don't have a female lead in this movie like you did in the first one. You've got Mark Patton. And Mark Patton was in what before this? Um, he was in the great Robert Altman's Come Back to Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, where he did play a homosexual character. I think at that time in 1982, the uh, actor Mark Patton was sort of coming to grips with his own sexuality and that plays out a little bit more in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Mark Patton has been called the first male scream queen. That's a self-imposed uh, title, by the way. Yeah, and it's odd when you start watching the movie, the homosexual, what seems like subtext at first, but then by the end of the movie is just completely over the top and kind of thrown in your face. Um, yeah, this this uh, movie is overtly homosexual. We've got all these things in the film, like the board game probe, the sign on the door that says no chicks allowed, the time he leaves his girlfriend when they're getting intimate to go stay with his buddy, but no one seemed to think that this movie had any sort of homosexual undertones while they were making it. Jack Shoulder and the crew swear that they never intentionally made this film to have homosexual themes. I think it did turn out that the set decorator just happened to be gay. Uh, Mark Patton, the main star of the film, just happened to be gay. Um, the screenwriter would later say that it was subtext. I think that's total bullshit. He did deny it, and then in 2010 admitted that no, it was not subtext, and I wrote it in there because our largest demographic was heterosexual teen males, and I wanted to get under their skin.
There's a lot of undertones. There's things that people are talking about. But let's discuss the movie itself. Graham, can you quickly just give me a synopsis of Freddy's Revenge? Well, sure. Um, We talk about how this Freddy is so different from the rest of the series. And one of the main aspects is that Freddy is going to actually possess a kid and murder through this child as if it were Freddy's avatar. Which is completely insane when you take a look at the scope of Freddy. He attacks people in their dreams. He does not put himself in the body of uh, anyone else. Well, it put himself at risk. Uh, putting yourself in the body of, of a human being on Earth would allow Freddy to be killed so much easier, don't you think? Absolutely. The connection between Mark Patton's character and Freddy is that Mark Patton has moved into the house that Nancy lived in, Nancy Thompson from the first film. And so Mark and his family have moved into the house, and it's, of course, haunted, uh, and Freddy starts to take over Mark Patton's character. Jesse is his name. So Freddy starts to take over Jesse's body. Yeah, and so by the end of it, we're left with no dream sequences that actually have Freddy attacking anyone. We've got Jesse sleepwalking, which is kind of tied to Freddy, and doing stuff where he wouldn't expect, but it's all revealed at the end when Freddy actually busts out of his body and starts attacking people in real life, which is completely... Completely unbelievable. Exactly, Rob. Uh, Robert England is not that tall, so when you put Freddy Krueger in a crowd of kids and a lot of those teenagers are taller than Freddy Krueger, not that scary. Yeah, and then he's chasing them around a pool with, like, there's, like, 30 kids there. If they really wanted to, they could overpower this short, disfigured man. Yeah, it, it it really makes Freddy look vulnerable. Um, the scene is really well filmed. There's some good shots, and there's actually a couple of good lines. I know Wes Craven, for a fact, hates the line where Freddy Krueger uh, stands up and he spreads his arms and he tells all the kids, you are all my children now. Um, and that was improv from Robert England. Yeah, that, that was all Robert. That was not in the script. And I still think that's a pretty cool line um kind of a guilty pleasure uh in the nightmare series but no i love that line and again i think a lot of those scenes are really well shot and they do have some elements that are sort of terrifying but it doesn't match what was previously set up in the first film one thing we haven't mentioned is that the love interest in this movie is played by a young meryl streep Yeah, uh, not really, but a girl that looks exactly like Meryl Streep. Her name is Kim Myers, and uh, she plays the character Lisa, and Lisa sort of becomes the main hero in the third act of the film to save Jesse when he's been totally possessed by Freddy Krueger. Well, she makes out with Freddy Krueger and tells Jesse that she loves him, correct? Yeah, and then, like, Jesse starts to break through Freddy just like Freddy broke through Jesse earlier in the film. Again, there's this whole sort of avatar that I'll kill through another person kind of aspect. But they do have a nice animatronic of Freddy melting, which is great. Uh, that, that is a great special effect. This movie, once it came out and everyone watched it, American audiences were left a little unfulfilled, but European audiences really loved it because they really latched onto that psychosexual Freddy Krueger 
molester killer angle and it ended up actually being fairly significant even though the story was completely off the rails yeah the the story was lost to american audiences uh especially the psychosexual stuff but the movie was a total success at that time most sequels um made about half of what the first one made uh with nightmare on elm street 2 uh they more than doubled uh, their profit off of the first one. And everybody at New Line was just like, okay, we need to get this third one going as soon as possible if this is the way that the the series is going to go. That's incredible. So there was no debate at this point. We have made so much money, we need to start the third one. Yeah, and when they decided to do the third one, they realized that American audiences weren't captivated by the second movie as much as they were by the first one. So they needed elements from the first movie back into the third movie if they wanted to have a successful franchise. So they're kind of trying to tie it back together into the original storyline. They're trying to make it look like number two never existed. Makes sense. I think that it's interesting. You can create a film that has nothing to do with the original, breaks all the rules, makes double the money, and that still you need to set the course back to the original storyline because you've got a fan base that is so strong now. Sure, yeah. And I just want to say, number two is a really fun film. It has nothing to do with the rest of the series, but it's a damn good time. Well, it's like a bizarro Freddy film. Exactly. It's like uh, if the second feature was made on Mars instead of Earth. It just comes out of nowhere, but it is so fun to watch, and it it is a party film. Graham, so wrapping up part two, do you have a favorite death? So, as far as death scenes in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, there are not that many, and the ones that uh, are on screen are, are, are pretty lame. But the special effects scene I like the most is when the character Jesse goes to kiss Lisa, and he has Freddy's tongue. Oh, and then he has to immediately get up and go spend the night at his buddy's house. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic scene. Okay, so looking forward, we're going to get back on the storyline train with A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Yeah, this is the fan favorite. This is one of the, this is probably, well, if you, depending on who you ask, this could be the best film in the series. Graham... I'm going to have everyone make sure that they rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Check out the links and the information to see where you can support us and uh, send us an email because we're getting some traction, man. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to say that if you ever hated your high school gym teacher, watch Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 phrase revenge. You will have your revenge. I, that was so stupid. I just, I just no, no, that was awesome. <laughs> it's, it's so dumb, though. I just just came up with that. If you have any questions or would like us to join your network, please email us at pumpkinspicepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to be even more help, check out our Patreon page. We've got a slew of rewards, and we just want to keep these episodes coming.